Man, can that song have like any more verses? The one about the cross. I cut one out. You did? Yeah. <laughs> Man, sing about Presbyterians. We always we want to sing twenty verses to every hymn. Put every ounce of theology in every hymn, in every stanza. Oh man, praise God, great time of worship. Uh, thank you for your testimonies. Glory to God uh, for all uh, that he has done in this camp. And let's remember that, you know, uh, we can get romantic and nostalgic, sentimental. And sometimes that can replace giving God glory. And we need to remember every good thing that's happened this week is God's fault. Amen. Amen. God has been good to us. And even uh, grieving and lamenting together this morning in prayer over the, over the killings of those police officers and the shootings of African-American men by police, that was a, that was a pretty emotional time this morning. And it, what, a, what a pleasure to lament and grieve together in Christ. Uh, there, are t- there are times in the world where there's nothing else to do except lament. And to grieve. The Bible says mourn with those who mourn. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily have a, a cheer-up word to give them that's going to solve the fact that their husband or a father of their children or the mother of their children has just been killed. We have to sometimes just sit with those who suffer uh, and just be there for them. So thank you so much for a great week. I'm so honored and uh, thankful uh, that I was asked to come and preach to you this week. Um, You guys have really blessed my heart. Uh, Thank you for uh, staying awake. Now tonight, that's a real struggle. uh, Because it's it's later than we usually get up here to preach. And so I do want to say this. If you're having some struggle and you want to stand up, uh, you know, feel free to do that. You know, go over to the side, you know, whatever. Uh, Climb up on the rafter, whatever. (laughs) I have a couple of things I just want to say before we uh, get into the Word of God. One is it's great to see the pickets here, long and old friends, and uh, just thank God for you. Um, one of the things that I didn't tell you about this week is I did write a book. It's called Merciful, and I don't have any copies with me, but you can get it on Amazon. It's cheaper to get it on Kindle than it is to uh, get it mailed to you, but just in case you want to know more about my life and my ministry, uh, I encourage you to get a hold of that book. You remember uh, on the first day, I asked you to think of somebody that you thought in your life was the best person you knew, the person who was good. And uh, I asked each of you to think about that. And then, then I, I asked you to pray for that person. Well, I got one more assignment for you. So as you go home, I want you to do, and try to do this in the first week you're home. Would you please write them a note? The person you thought of, as the the person in your life that you thought of as the best person you knew, would you write them a note, just a short note to say, I thought of you, and I just want you to know you have my respect, and you have really been an, you've been an encouragement and an inspiration to me, you know, something along that line doesn't have to be long, just a few sentences. 
But please do that. Because here's this amazing thing. Some of you have already done that to other people, and you don't know. And you won't know unless they actually said something to you. And it's such, a, that's such an encouragement for somebody to get. That might have been your grandparents or your parents or a friend or a teacher at school or your pastor or just somebody on your block. I don't know who it was, but send them a, a, a note if you can. Uh, I've got to talk a little bit about money. During the communion tonight, as we end our service, we're going to have a, an offering. And uh, I've been asked if I would tell you that, and I don't know if you're prepared, uh, you know, if you brought all your, you left your cash in the room or whatever. Uh, we, I don't think we have any electronic means for you to, you know, to suck it out of your bank account. But if you've got any offering that you want to give tonight for the work of YXL, uh, bring that up with you as you come to take communion. Well, that's the way we'll do that. Now, speaking of uh, offering for YXL, I do want you to know that God has really blessed this camp, but we would like more people to come. We don't have a lot of room left here uh, at, at uh, Horn Creek. We, we, can, we can fit in some more, but we would really like to help some people come, especially those who can't afford to come. And what we, we thought of this idea that sometime over this year, whether this is your last year or you're going to be back next year, would you pray about sending in 25 bucks? Now, you know, if God blesses you with more and you want to send it, that's great, but we're just laying that challenge out that if each of us this year could send in $25, and uh, where would we send it? Look on the YSL site. Okay, you could go online to the YFL site, to the what? The YXL. YXL. And uh, you will be sending it to University Presbyterian Church for YXL. But 25 out, so maybe somehow the Lord might bless you this year, and you might have that money, or you might work and, and maybe have it uh, to be able to give as a gift. And one other practical thing. We've talked about justice, and we'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. We've talked about racism a little bit. And uh, one of the challenges that we have uh, in the Presbyterian Church is ethnic inclusion. People who don't look like us, that still love Jesus. We want them to, to love Jesus, and we want them to learn about this great Reformed faith we talk about. Uh, but in order for that to happen, we have to make friends. We have to make friends with people who are different from us. So here's a challenge. Those of you who are on Facebook or on social media, I want you to analyze how many people are your friends in social media who are of a different ethnicity. And if you look at your, say, Facebook, and you go, man, everybody here is white, then I would say to you, you got a challenge. And I would just really encourage you that over this next year, you would have people of color on that Facebook or whatever that social media site, if your parents uh, let you use it. So that's just one very practical challenge. Okay, I think I'm done with those preliminaries. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this just awesome week. 
and your work of grace in people's lives. And Lord, we know that there are some who came this week who were not saved, who did not know Jesus. They, they may have, Lord, have been in the church and they have, may have been very religious and for all outwards appearance, they seem to be like everybody else. But Lord, even as they sit here tonight, they do not yet know you. And for them especially, we pray that you would have mercy on them and that this night would be the night of their liberation, the night when they are set free and come to know you as Lord and Savior. We pray for those who've been in bondage to legalism and works and self-righteousness. And I pray, Lord, that they would learn grace, your free mercy, your awesome, overwhelming love. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would, we would learn what is, in fact, almost unknowable, how much you love us. Holy Spirit, come. Help me in these few minutes to proclaim your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, I started this week talking about uh, some of the ancient philosophers. I've talked about a little bit about... Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And uh, they were men who were called philosophers. They had a love of wisdom. That's what that word philosophy means. Uh, Sophia, philos, it's put it together, love of wisdom. And part of that wisdom that they sought was, what is a good man? What is virtue? What, what makes somebody good? And so this whole week, we've been talking about that. Uh, what makes somebody righteous? How can you be righteous? How can you be good? So, so please understand, this is not simply a Christian quest. Trying to, to, be, to have meaning in your life and to, to be able to make an impact in the world and, and to feel that you are a good person. It's not just a Christian or religious idea. It's something that all kinds of folks struggle with. Well, they had some virtues in mind. And they, they talked about the virtues of, of courage and of justice, prudence and temperance. Those were their four big virtues. And they thought they could achieve them through a life of discipline, a life of developing really good habits. And uh, they weren't Christian virtues. They left some stuff out. And I mentioned that to you. You know, you can read that Greek philosophy and you can say, man, I really like that. that those, they were really heading the right direction. But then you consider that the Greek and Roman empires really lacked something. And of course, what they lacked was what Jesus brought. Faith, hope, love, and humility. And in fact, in that empire, some of those very virtues were despised. If you forgave, if you were humble, that, that, that wasn't something to be uh, happy about. That meant you were weak. But it's an amazing thing how Jesus taught us that the meek will inherit the earth. That his, his very humility is what really transforms human beings. And so we've been in that struggle this week about how... Can a person be good? And so I want to run down uh, a list of things tonight. I've actually got them numbered tonight. I'm going to try to go real fast. I 
I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget them. And they're kind of a summation of what we've talked about this week with maybe a little bit more in it. What is God's definition of a righteous man? We talked about justification. And we said it's when God declares you, through faith, to be righteous. You don't get there through obeying the law because you can't. You don't get there by creating a bunch of rules and trying to be uh, you know, real legalistic about your life. You will only be righteous by grace through faith. God gives your sin to Jesus and He gives the righteousness of Christ to you. We call that imputation and God makes that declaration in the court of heaven about you forever. Forever. You are loved by God and forgiven. Then we talked about, this is the second point, sanctified. And I want you to know there's uh, two parts of the sanctification, so it's points two and three. The sanctified, remember, is that process in which the Holy Spirit is working in us to make us holy. You are justified, and then you start your Christian life, and you're trying to grow more like Jesus. Uh, if anybody claims to be in Christ, then he ought to live, even as Christ lived, the Bible teaches us. That's a, a process of growth. And there's two kinds of that kind of righteousness. There's personal holiness, and we all struggle with that. Do we not? Yes. Some of you will struggle with it tonight. Uh, because you know some of you are sort of coupling up, and you're getting all romantic. And you may even find a shadow to try to make out in. I, what? At White Cell? Are you kidding? These Christian kids? I know you. <laughs> yeah, you know why? Because we're just human beings. We, we get tempted. And, you know, and I tell you, I'm a preacher, right? I pastored my church for 36 years. I could sit on the pulpit and be tempted. I'm not going to tell you what they were. But, man... You know, I'm in church, getting ready to preach, and I can. There's an internal struggle going on, and it could be it could be all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of things. John Pick, have you ever had that struggle? Never been tempted in church, have you? Yes, I have. Oh, have mercy. Yeah, because we're human beings, and we struggle with that personal holiness. Jesus, I want to be like you, but I'm such a mess, and that's why I remember grace, the power of God. When you, when you can't fight it, when you are weak and you can't seem to make progress, please remember this. It is not willpower. It's not determination. It's not more rules. It's crying out for mercy. And at that moment saying, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I cannot live like Jesus. Jesus, live your life in me. And that's when the power comes. That's the power of grace. Now, that's personal holiness. But the other kind of holiness is social righteousness. And we've talked about this week. In other words, if you say you're a Christian, and you say you have faith, but you don't have works, you don't really have faith. If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. So you don't just need personal holiness... You need social righteousness. 
Now, now please understand this. And if you go home and you say, well, you know, they talked a lot about justice and mercy. One of your parents might say, did they talk about social justice? Not that your parents would ever talk like that. You know, but did they talk about social justice? Are they going liberal? You know, that social justice stuff, that's not Christianity. That's the social gospel. Did you hear that phrase? The social gospel. The social gospel was a historic theological movement that took place especially at the beginning of the 20th century. And it was when people were losing their faith in the Bible and instead of believing in the cross and the blood of Christ and the resurrection, they began to say that what, what Christianity really should be about is improving the lives of people. So we should fight against injustice. We should help the poor. Uh, we should, you know, uh, take, take education to the uneducated. And, and that whole movement was called the social gospel. And it really was uh, liberalism. It really was unbelief. Now see, we're here tonight with this idea. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We have not given up the preaching of the cross. We have not given up the necessity of people to be saved. Say amen. amen. <laughs> Your friends need to be saved. They don't just need more education. They don't just need a more comfortable house. They, they don't need a more permanent job. Even the poorest person ultimately doesn't just simply need material things. They need Christ. But even though we don't practice or believe the social gospel, we do practice and preach and strive for social justice. Those two things are different. What do I mean by social justice? Well, personally for me, I believe that unborn children should be allowed to live. That's social justice. I believe that people should be treated with respect no matter what color of skin they have. That's social justice. I believe that all policemen should treat all uh, civilians with respect and ought to respect their civil rights, even... Uh, as they stop them uh, for a traffic violation. I believe in social justice. I believe that the poor need to be loved and discipled out of poverty so they can provide for themselves. That they should be treated with the dignity that they have because they're created in the image of God. These are the things I think the scriptures teach. That we are to take care of the widow. We are to defend her rights. We are to take care of the orphan. We, we ought to be able to bring in the alien and provide for them and not despise them. These are the things listed in the Scripture. Those are the three categories in the Old Testament. The widow, the orphan, and the alien. And then the fourth one, the poor. That's social justice. But it's not the social gospel. Because we want people to be saved, even as we help them with these physical things. That is part of your sanctification, too. So, unfortunately, a lot of, uh, a lot of evangelicals have been so business about, busy about personal holiness, they have totally neglected 
social righteousness. And it makes us hypocrites. I'll give you an example. You know, uh, one of my concerns for young people that grew up in my church was that I knew there was a moment when some of them would go to college. And uh, they went to all kinds of colleges and universities around the country. And I knew that some of them, for the first time in their life, were going to be living their life among non-Christians or unbelievers. And they were going to be challenged. And they're going to be challenged in the classroom. And there are professors. You know, as soon, you know, if you go to some philosophy courses or even biology courses or whatever, and they'll, they try to find out who is, a, who is a professing Christian. And it'll be part of their objective to destroy your faith. And you say, no, yes, it's going to happen. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, I know that there are kids who grew up in my church who have lost their faith. And that's heartbreaking. They lost their faith for various reasons, but I, I will tell you this. None of them that I know have lost their faith because when they went to a, a university or college and somebody said, oh, you're a Christian. You people are racists. You people don't help the poor. The kids from my church would say, what are you talking about? It's all we've ever done. None of the children in my church have lost their faith because we have lived a hypocritical life when it came to social justice. It would be my ambition that every church could say the same thing, but unfortunately they cannot. And I want to challenge you that you would do that in your church, that, that your church would never lose somebody to unbelief because we didn't live out what the gospel said. Social righteousness and personal holiness both are necessary. Good works lived out the virtues of justice and mercy. Now we haven't even looked at the Bible tonight, so I do certainly want to get there. And I want you to open with me, if you have your Bible, to Micah 6 8. Comes right after Jonah. Used to be in my Bible. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says this He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Him. That's not the social gospel. That's gospel. Now, as you try to live that out, you're going to come across people who have a different value system than we do. You know, I told you about the virtues of the early Greeks about justice and courage and prudence and temperance. Your cultural context, there are a couple of other virtues that now are prominent. One is tolerance. Tolerance is the number one virtue of your generation. 
And there's a problem with that being the major virtue. Because the way tolerance comes across now, it has no boundaries. It has no definition. It cannot discern what is evil. It cannot define the difference between right and wrong, good and bad. And if you tolerate everything, what happens if you tolerate Hitler? What happens if you tolerate a monster who, who wants to kill all of your people? What happens to, if somebody says, you know, I, I think this whole ethnic group should be wiped out. And you say, well, you know, his, his opinion is, is as good as mine. I have no right to judge. I have no right to say this is right and that is wrong. Tolerance is, uh, is a troubling virtue. It leads to confusion. The other thing you're going to struggle with is identity politics. That's, that's part of what we call postmodernism, and it's, it's where you define life built on your gender or your sexuality uh, or your ethnic group or your class. And I want you to know, all of the, if, that, if that is the way you define life, that is divisive. It does not bridge gaps or barriers between people. And it ultimately leads to war. And we got a lot of war going on. Well, let me move on. Number four. We're talking about being good and being righteous. And my challenge to you this week is to think about being righteous through the church. Through the church. Now, I want to sing you a little song to make my point. And I'm sure you're going to, these words will be very familiar to you if you grew up in the church. The tune might be a little different. Um, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You can, you can sing with me for me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Now, how many of you grew up singing that song in Sunday school? You know, you know the words, right? Well, here's the problem with that song. I learned it too. And it comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And you might want to turn there with me. And as I learned that song, I always thought, okay, Jesus wants me to let my personal light shine so people could see the way I'm living and my testimony, and maybe they would be saved. But when you look at what the Bible actually says in chapter 5, verse 13 of the Gospel of Matthew, it says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. 
and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, what this text is saying is it's not an individual light Jesus is wanting to shine. He says, you are a city. You get the idea? He's talking about the church. It's not just us us as individuals. It's us together. The, The local church is so important to let the world see the glory of God. And how do they see it? Let me ask you a question. On Sunday morning when you go to church and you know, you're sitting there in the pew or the chairs or the bleachers, wherever, whatever you got. And the preacher's preaching and the band is playing or the music leader is leading, whatever. Have you ever looked out the windows, if, they're, if you have any, and seen hundreds of people looking in? No. Get a clue. The world doesn't care what you do in a church house. That's not where they see good works. We are a city supposed to be set on a hill that gives out its light. How do we reflect that light? Through our good works. That's what Jesus just said. That means we got to go out into the community, into the neighborhood, into the city in which we live, and we have actually got to perform acts of love. We actually have to serve people. We, we have to minister to the hurting and the broken and the needy. If we don't do that, they don't get a chance to see. So I just want you to understand that part of this living out righteousness is not living it in a box where you're struggling with your own personal holiness and the temptation as to whether or not you're going to have devotions in the morning or not. Your life's a whole lot bigger than that. Okay, let's move on. Number five. I want to I give you a challenge tonight as we close. Uh, I want you to think about your future. And uh, I've, we've been talking about being good and being righteous. And here's my question is, where are you going to be righteous? Doing what will you be doing righteousness? Will you be being good and serving? What I'm, what I'm talking about you know, is the simple question of, okay, after college, then what? After high school, then what? What are you going to do with your life? Now, please understand this. We think that all honest work can glorify God. Any vocation you have, the gifts God gave you, if you put them to work, they can glorify God. People like me that they call pastor, reverend, preacher, minister, I am not holier than you. I'm just like you. I struggle every day with my walk with God. At the same time, I will tell you this. I believe that what I have is a holy calling. I'm called to speak as an oracle of God according to the word that God gives. Doesn't make me special. Just gives me a special job. And here's what I want to say to you. You're going to have some big choices to make. 
But every single choice you make about how you're going to work and where you're going to work and what your career is going to be and what your vocation is should not simply be a matter of where do I get the most money and where can I really enjoy my life. The question is, what does God want you to do? And I, I, would, I would humbly ask you to think about religious vocation. Some of you here may very well be called to preach. Catch this. Some of you might be called to marry a preacher. God help you. <laughs> Some of you might be called to be a missionary. Some, some of you might be called to serve in some kind of full-time Christian. It might be on a college campus. might be in a high school. might be working with children. I don't know. But please do not let the lure of the world in terms of materialism capture your heart. Now listen, I, I want some of you to be rich. Well, let me take that back. I'd like all of you to be rich and tithe faithfully. I, I would like God to bless you. I would like you to be successful. I would like you to find something you really love doing and to have the gifts to do and you know God's pleasure when you do it and do it with all your might and lo and behold, you're getting blessed and you've got plenty of income. And now guess what I'm going to say? Guess what I'm going to say if you're rich? Give it away! The Bible says to me as a preacher, command those who are rich in this world to be rich in good deeds. So I'm commanding you, be rich in good deeds. But pray seriously about the calling God might have on your life. You, will, you know, when I was 15, I felt called to be a preacher. And I set my face to do that. So all of my education and all of my work was always focused on that goal. I knew God wanted me to stand in front of you one day and proclaim the Word of God. I didn't know about you particularly, but I knew generally that this was God's calling on my life. And I want you to ask yourself, well, ask the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? And here's the cool thing. I believe that if you commit your way to the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. I believe if you abandon yourself to Him and say, Jesus, I'll, do, I'll go anywhere. I will do anything you say. My life is your. You paid for me with your blood. I give you my life back. I believe if you commit your way to the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. That's a promise in the Bible, by the way. It's not just my idea. And so now I just have to end. And uh, I talked uh, at the beginning about wisdom, seeking wisdom. Well, here's the cool thing. Bible says in Proverbs uh, chapter 9 that there's a choice to be made between foolishness and wisdom. He wants you to choose wisdom. And guess what? Wisdom follows the way of righteousness and justice. How do you know you're being a wise person? If you're living a life of righteousness and justice, you're being wise. It's, it's just, that's the equation. And by the way, that was written way before the Greeks ever, ever wrote anything. 
Solomon wrote that 1,000 B.C. Aristotle was around 300 B.C. The Bible had him beat all the way to wisdom. And it always follows the path of righteousness and justice. God has a plan for you, a purpose for you. That's why he saved you. Thank you for this week. Thank you for taking what we have said seriously. But now, the hard work begins. Because you've got to go home and put it on the street. You've got to live out this life that God has given you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've I, I got one last little verse to read you that would back up that. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is who's to, to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus 